Welcome to Diving Deeper, where we explore important ocean topics with National Ocean Service experts. I'm your host, Kate Nielsen. Today we will have part one of an update on the invasive lionfish since our last interview on this topic in April 2012. We'll focus a little bit on the spread of the lionfish and just some basics of lionfish in general in today's discussion. Back to talk to us today is James Morris with the National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science. Thanks, James, for joining us again on Diving Deeper. Hi, Kate. So glad to be here. So, James, for our listeners today who weren't with us for our last episode, can you highlight just a few of the basics about lionfish? Oh, absolutely. So lionfish is an invasive species. It's actually the first marine reef fish that has become invasive along the southeast U.S., Gulf of Mexico and Caribbean. It's a scorpion fish, so it actually has venom, venomous spines that can sting uh, people as well as are used for predator defense. Lionfish first were introduced in 1985. It's the first record that we have of them. And since, ni- since the mid-80s, they've spread to include basically the entire region and are invading coral reef and hard bottom reef habitats and are really quite a concern. Okay. Um, and a, a beautiful fish, at least from what I've seen from the pictures. Beautiful, but um, quite problematic. They are very beautiful. As a yeah. matter of fact, that's why they're here. Yes. <laughs> um, they uh, largely, we believe, were released from the aquarium trade. We believe there was probably no single introduction, that multiple introductions over a period of time. We certainly have some diverse genetics uh, in, the, in, in the population that suggest there were at least nine female lionfish that were, that were released. We are certainly concerned from a management perspective in terms of the ecological impacts that they can have in the in the reef systems and we need to be more concerned about the release of non-native species. Okay so in the past year then since we last talked what has changed sort of with the status of the lionfish? Well the lionfish invasion continues to to spread rapidly. We're, we're continuing to see them grow in densities along the southeast U.S. and um, especially in the last year or two in the Gulf of Mexico. So lionfish now are found as far north as North Carolina. They can be found farther north than North Carolina in the late summer, where some of the tropicals actually are transported north along the Gulf Stream and, uh, and recruit. But these tropicals don't overwinter, so lionfish, like the other tropicals, will die north of North Carolina. We also see lionfish as far south now as the coast of Venezuela. So the entire Caribbean, hmm. Gulf of Mexico, southeast U.S., is now the new habitat of lionfish. Okay. And this, a lot of this change then did happen, too, I guess, over the last year? So, so over the last year to uh, two years, the invasion of the Gulf of Mexico, and, of course, that southward march uh, continues see. to occur. So we know that the lionfish is continuing to spread to new regions, more so, as you're saying, over this last year to two years. But is there any kind of limit then to where the lionfish will spread because they don't like the colder water temperatures? What is too cold for a lionfish? So so we know from laboratory experiments, looking at the thermal tolerance, that that lionfish will, will stop eating around 13 to 14 degrees Celsius. They perish at around 10 or 11 degrees Celsius. And there's some air around those particular uh, temperatures. And so that places their southern limit based on sea surface temperature somewhere around the northern coast of Argentina and as far north as North Carolina. 
And then in this in this range that we've talked about a little bit, do lionfish have a preferred habitat? Are they spread out pretty much the same density throughout the region, or do you see kind of hot spots of lionfish? Absolutely, we do see hot spots. Lionfish are reef fish, and they're associated very much to habitat that has high relief. We see high lionfish densities specifically around artificial reefs like shipwrecks. We see them around in coral reefs where there's high rugosity or high relief, large relief height. But we also do see some lower densities of lionfish and, and general occurrence in some of the lower relief habitats. And one of our big questions right now is what are the densities of lionfish in the deeper habitats of some of these coastal systems and we really need to work on that and try to understand more about their deeper water densities and and habitat preferences but by and large the general trend is that lionfish really prefer those high relief habitats we see large numbers many times around even bridge pilings or seawalls we can find numbers there It, it can be somewhat patchy some reefs will have higher densities than others. Some are have longer have been invaded for longer periods of time, so there's been larger populations that have recruited there. So it really depends on the the region that you're talking about and the the length of time that the invasion has has been happening there and the types of habitat that exist there. So they really are just spreading like wildfire it seems and they keep multiplying. What can you tell us about lionfish reproduction? How does this play into the whole lionfish invasion? Yes, that's a good question, and it's one that we've been working on for a long time in our laboratory. Uh, the reproductive biology of lionfish was something that really interested us from the very beginning. We were wondering, how is this uh, invasive species reproducing so so quickly, and what does their reproductive biology look like? Interestingly, there had not been a whole lot of reproductive biology done on this species in their native range, so there was a lot of really uncertain questions that we had to address from the beginning, such as how often do they reproduce? Mm -hmm. Um, How do they reproduce? How many offspring do they release uh, over time? And some of those basic questions. What we've learned over the years has been quite alarming. And certainly the reproductive biology has in some way influenced or even facilitated such a rapid and aggressive invasion. We've learned that female lionfish can release more than 2 million eggs a year. Uh, we've learned that they release them in gelatinous egg masses that float at the surface. They release them often, about every three to four days. A, a female lionfish can release eggs. We've seen that both in the Bahamas as well as off the coast of North Carolina. And as an invasive species, that reproductive strategy sort of hedges your bets in mm-hmm. terms of being successful in recruiting to a suitable habitat. If you reproduce often, and you have these pelagic eggs, which become pelagic larvae, mm-hmm. um, and they float up at the surface for 30 days or more, then they will settle down to, to reefs that are, that are far away. And that can be an, an advantage, I think, from an invasion point of view, that you sort of spread your risk, you spread, mm-hmm. your, you spread your progeny throughout, then, throughout a large range, and the likelihood or probability that, that you will be successful in, in uh, becoming established increases when you spread that probability. So we, we are kind of fascinated by the reproductive biology. So let's talk a little bit about predators. Let's go first and think about predators sort of in that natural environment, and then maybe humans we can talk about a little bit afterwards. Can you tell folks why we haven't found a predator yet for the lionfish? The, the predator question is a really good one, and it's one that we get probably more than any other question about lionfish. And it's one that probably is a little bit controversial because we get lots of reports of 
someone finding a lionfish in the stomach of such and such species. And there's been over 15 or probably 20 accounts of different species that have been reported to, to me and to my lab about mm-hmm. finding lionfish in the stomachs. The problem is, though, is that we're not finding lionfish in the stomachs of any of these species within any regularity. The other problem is that we really have very little evidence that lionfish populations are lower in density um, because of natural mortality associated with predation on lionfish, either as juveniles or, or adults. What we do have evidence, though, is that based on laboratory trials that we've done in our laboratory, certainly our native reef fish recognize the coloration pattern that lionfish have. It's a warning coloration pattern. It's universal in the animal kingdom. And uh, our native predators, when you, in these in feeding trials in the laboratory and even looking at behavioral stuff in the field, our native predators recognize lionfish as a venomous fish. And that venom defense system is really, really effective. As a matter of fact, and I like to teach this when we talk about sort of some of the evolutionary biology around the, the lionfish invasion, is that there is a species of octopus called the Indomalayan octopus that actually mimics lionfish to keep from getting eaten. It mimics lionfish as, a, as an animal that it wants to look like because it has evolved to know that if it can make itself look like a lionfish, it will have less likelihood of getting eaten. That tells us a lot about the effectiveness of venom defense. So we have to be cautious about the role of predators in, in controlling lionfish. Time will ultimately tell. Personally, in my opinion, is more inclined to think that lionfish may compete with themselves as a limiting factor more than predation mortality will begin limiting their, their distribution. And uh, classically, that is the way of invasive species. Many times we see invasive species begin in- incurring intraspecific competition or competition with themselves for resources rather than competition with other native species. So there's no known, really strong, effective predator. Lionfish continue to spread. They continue to cover more ground or more ocean kind of than ever before. Do we need to stop the lionfish invasion? What impact are they actually having on the ecosystems that they're coming into contact with? So invasive species cause billions of dollars worth of economic damage annually. Some of the major invasive species problems include things like kudzu or Asian carp, zebra mussels. Some of these species, there are some termites, for example, that are invasive. When you think about the economic impact of invasive species, it is really, really high. Such is the case with lionfish. When thinking about the economic impact of this invasion, when you calculate the the coastal resource manager staff time throughout the entire invaded range, which remember is from North Carolina to now Venezuela, when you calculate the impacts of predation by lionfish on economically important species like grouper and snapper, when you calculate the impacts to human health by people getting stung and interacting with lionfish, when you, um, when you look at all of those impacts and sort of package it together, the cost in terms of dollars is quite high. It's almost it's hard to fathom how much cost this single introduction is having. The problem with invasive species that I think we still are gaining experience and sort of placing it in context with some of the other coastal ocean stressors that we deal with is really placing it in a way that we can compare it. And one of the analogies that I like to use with lionfish is that invasive species is a really a type of pollution. It's a type of biological pollution. 
we typically think of pollution as being something that's abiotic. We typically think of it as being something that's chemical or something that like noise pollution or light pollution or oil pollution. In biological pollution, like invasive species, can cause the same and sometimes even greater impacts than some of these other more conventional types of pollution. And so I like to compare lionfish really to like an, an oil spill or some other type of chemical pollutant. The difference, though, is that this is a living organism and that this type of pollution continues to spread, to uh, reproduce, and to, get, and to get worse over time until it reaches some type of equal, new equilibrium in the ecosystem. And then at that, at that point, the ecosystem, in this, in this case the reef fish community, will never return to the state that it once was. You know, you, you cannot clean up this pollution problem throughout the entire in, invaded range. We just do not have the tools and the ability right now to, in terms of technology, to say, okay, we're going to get rid of all the lionfish. And we wouldn't even know where to go look for all the lionfish from mm-hmm. North Carolina to Venezuela if we wanted to. Certainly there's some fishing pressure that um, can be placed on lionfish, but that has its own level of challenges. And so when we think about invasive species as pollution, it really places it in context to the, to the other types of coastal ecosystem stressors, and it's quite alarming to think of the scale. So what happens then if we, if we don't or if we can't stop lionfish? Well, we are going to reach some type of new place, new equilibrium in the reef fish community that now includes, includes lionfish. What I hope, though, is that we learn some lessons from this invasion about the importance of invasive species prevention and awareness. So we learned some new lessons in terms of coastal ecosystem uh, management and rapid response to non-native species to try to head off and, uh, and keep something like this from happening again. We also, though, learn about the relative importance of this problem compared to some of the other types of problems. We have the data now, and there's lots of good scientists that are working on this problem, mm-hmm. but the data is really showing very aggressive um, ecological impacts from this single invasion. This is not something that just NOAA and just something that we're talking about or working on. It's something that has been supported by National Science Foundation dollars to some of our academic collaborators and partners. And all of the data show that significant uh, impacts are happening. And my concern is that those long that those are long-term impacts that we can never really go back to where we once were um, within the entire system. Thanks, James, for joining us and for giving us this update on lionfish. You can hear more about lionfish in the next part of this series, where we will explore what can be done to help control this problem locally, and specifically what NOAA is doing to help. To learn more, please visit www.ccfhr.noaa.gov slash stressors slash lionfish ASPX. That's all for today's show. Remember, If you have questions on this episode or the National Ocean Service in general, you can contact us at nos.info at noaa.gov. And if you're on social media, don't forget you can find us. It's USOceanGov on Facebook, Flickr, and YouTube, and NOAA Ocean on Twitter. Please join us for our next episode in two weeks.